This morning's reading is from Luke, chapter 14, beginning at the 15th verse, and is on 1048 of the Pew Bibles. The parable of the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come for everything, sorry, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Today we're continuing our series on holy habits based on Act 2. And today we're looking at feasting and fasting. Perhaps we like the thought of the first, not so much the second, but both causes of celebration. There are two main parts. We're going to look at God's attitude to feasting and the example of Jesus. And then we're seeing what it means for us as a church. And then there'll be a short part on fasting and how that should fit into the rhythm of our lives. Shall we pray? Father, help us to pick up what's on your heart and so to respond that we live lives that attract others to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you first an account of something happened to my family and I many, many years ago. The children were all quite small, and it was Christmas Day, and we were celebrating. And as we usually did when we celebrated, we had a huge dinner and wine, and we were very joyful. And we had someone to dinner with us called Mr. George. He always seemed old. We look back and we think probably he was about 50 when we first got to know him. But he was an old man to us always. He never smiled, never laughed. He was lonely, so he always spent Christmas with us. And this particular Christmas, we were sitting tucking in. Now, he was a vegetarian 
and he never ate very much. So he had his few meager vegetables. I mean, like that, I'd done about six or seven different vegetables. And he had a little bit of each on his plate, and that's all he wanted. And halfway through the meal, he looked round at us with our full plates and our wine, and he said, the drunkards and the gluttons will come to ruin. <laughs> and, and he was so amused by himself, that's straight from Proverbs, he was so amused by himself, his shoulders shook with mirth. <laughs> he never laughed normally. That probably kept him going for ages, the joy of what he'd seen us doing. But we thought it was so funny for quite a long time, even up to today, we talk about it. Do you remember when? But he had quite the wrong idea of celebrating and feasting. That's not God's idea. In fact, somebody else had a wrong idea, and that was Francis of Assisi, a very godly man. But he had a funny idea of celebrating as well. He always kept a pouch of ashes on his belt to sprinkle on his food if it started to taste too good. <laughs> Isn't that strange? He seemed to think that God just wanted us to have awful things, nothing good, nothing to enjoy. But that's not God's way at all. In 1 Timothy, it says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He's a joyful God, a celebrating God. He wants us to celebrate his goodness. He wants us to party. So what's his view on it, according to the Bible? Well, when you look at the Old Testament, there are seven main feasts and a few minor ones as well. And at each of these feasts, they were to invite their family, servants, and the strangers in the land. People who didn't know anything about God, but they were to invite them in because they were celebrating God's goodness and they wanted everybody to hear and to enjoy it. <clears throat> and some of these celebrations involved sacrifices, but they always, invite, always included eating, feasting, partying together. And God said on a number of occasions, do all this before me. In other words, I want to party with you. You're celebrating in my presence. It's what I want. It's what I enjoy. So many of us have a wrong view of God. I have a friend who sent me an email about six weeks ago now. And in it she said, Oh, all the rules in the Bible, not just the Old Testament, but the New. Rules, rules, rules. Terrible. It's all so negative. And I sent an email back and I said, no, the gospel is good news. It's liberating. It's what God says we can now do that we couldn't before. What we can be that we couldn't before. It's good, good news. <clears throat> Sorry, something I wanted to say. Oh, um, one of my favorite songs, um, Alan Jones has sung it, quite a number of others have, You Raise Me Up. And one of the lines from that says, You raise me up to more than I can be. And that's what the gospel's about. That's why we celebrate. That's why we feast. He's raised us up to more than we could possibly be apart from Jesus. God is not a tyrant waiting to punish us. He's a loving God who wants to party with us. Now, over the years, many Christians have chosen to overlook or ignore God as the great party giver because the feasts and the festivals are all in the Old Testament and they say it's not the same now. 
But when Jesus is asked what heaven is like, he tells the story of a fabulous banquet to which everybody is invited. And this banquet is going to last for all eternity. Everyone is invited, not just the Jews, because they were too busy with other things to respond. But it was thrown open to everybody. Anyone who will can come. It's for the poor, the lame, the blind, the dispossessed, and also the unclean Gentiles, all invited to this wonderful banquet in heaven. And because of the fact that we're included, we should be celebrating now, thinking ahead to how wonderful it's going to be when Jesus returns and we have this wonderful party together. But a question comes to mind. How can we celebrate when there's so much suffering in the world? Should we be partying and feasting when there are people going through real pain, terrible situations? Well, there's a difference between happiness, which is based on our circumstances, and joy, which is a gift from our Father. Joy is part of God's character and comes to us through Jesus. And it is possible to experience joy and sorrow at the same time, to celebrate and feast while still carrying others' sorrow. Jesus was described as a man of sorrows who feels our pain. That's in Isaiah 53. Yet at the same time, he bequeaths us his joy. Many Christians go through horrific times. In fact, there are some in our own church, and we feel the agony of it as they go through it. But even they can experience joy as God draws especially near to them and reminds them of the glorious future awaiting them. I had a word with Rachel Potts this morning, and I said, how's your mum? Do you know what she said? She's full of joy. That's the grace of God. He gives us grace for every situation. And Helen may not be able to feast now, but she can rejoice, and she is doing. And that's wonderful, really wonderful. I was listening to Songs of Praise last Sunday, and there's one hymn I'd never heard before, but one line of it just came through and hit me. And this is what it said. Until these troubles pass, my heart will sing. Not after the troubles pass. Why are we going through them? Until these troubles pass, my heart will sing. That's only possible through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit within us. He can give us joy even when we're suffering or we see others that we care about suffering. Let's look at Jesus' example. How did he celebrate using food. He wasn't miserable. If he'd been miserable, the children wouldn't have wanted to be with him, would they? He was obviously a joyful person, and he celebrated, and he used food to draw people into the kingdom. He knew the heart of his father, and he would have grown up with all these feasts, and he knew what it was like to give glory to God through eating, which seems strange, but it's biblical. Jesus came under condemnation because he, again, was called a glutton and a wine-bibber. You see, as we were, we were in wonderful company there. He was called that because he celebrated with food, and he even let the tax collectors and sinners join him. Now, 
as you probably know, the tax collectors made money from gathering taxes from the fellow Jews to give to the Roman authorities. That's how they became rich, and they were called traitors. The sinners, who weren't just ordinary sinners, as we all are, they were people who deliberately and persistently broke God's law. They were the money lenders who were told when they lent money, they weren't to make a profit out of it. But they lent money and made a terrific profit out of their own people against the law. And there'd be the prostitutes who sold themselves to a life of sin in deliberate disregard of God's law. Yet Jesus associated with these people at dinner parties. Now why? The Pharisees couldn't understand it. If Jesus had said, repent, change your lives, the Pharisees would have been thrilled for him to spend time with these people. But he didn't say that. John the Baptist said, repent. Jesus said, the kingdom is here. You're invited. Come in. And the Pharisees couldn't stand that. It infuriated them. But this is Jesus' way. He doesn't condemn he accepts. Now, the Holy Spirit shows us there's something wrong, and that's what draws us to Jesus. But Jesus doesn't wait for us to change our lives. He welcomes us in. Some many years ago now, I was going through a grumpy time. Have any of you have had a time where you feel all out of sorts inside, and somehow you can't do anything about it? Am I the only one that's ever felt that? And you know you're being bad. You know it. And you just can't pull yourself together. And I was like that. And I felt wretched, but I couldn't change it. And you know what happened? I felt Jesus put his arms around me and loved me as I was. And even thinking of it now breaks me. That's his love. He doesn't say, clean up your lives. He says, come here. I love you. And he loved me and he accepted me as I was. And that gave me a terrific longing to be clean. I wanted to be holy. I wanted to be like him. And that's the effect he has, you see. We don't contaminate him. Something of his purity comes across to us. And I desperately wanted to be clean. But again, he doesn't tell us, clean up your lives. He says, I'll help you. Let's do it together. There's somebody said once, know yourself to be wicked and God will wrap you in the mantle of his goodness. And that's what he does. In Isaiah it says, he has wrapped me in the robe of righteousness. Know yourself to be wicked. That's the first stage. I knew I was all out of sorts, but he came and he wrapped me in the robe of righteousness. And so that's the way around it is. Jesus loves us first, accepts us first, as we are. And you see in the Bible that with Zacchaeus. You all remember Zacchaeus? I don't know about you, but I sang songs about him when I was a child. <laughs> this little man climbed up in the tree to see Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, oh, I know you, Zacchaeus. I know all the money you're making from gathering taxes from your own people. He didn't say that. Do you know what he said? Come on, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house. I want to come and eat with you. And we're never told that, that Jesus said anything against what he did, against his life. But Zacchaeus changed his life around and gave back even more than the money he'd taken from his fellow Jews. It says in Romans, God kind, God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. 
and that's what it does, and that has to be that way round. So how can we follow his example of hospitality? How can we show love to others, even others perhaps that are living lives that we wouldn't approve of, we don't like at all, we know they're wrong. How can we still show love and invite them in and give them food and tell them about this Jesus who loves them? Well, in the early church, all were welcome in their shared meals. And we're beginning to get back to that holy habit using food to show acceptance and love and to share Jesus with those outside. Eating together is a wonderful way of outreach. And there are many new things going on, a lot of things I'd never heard of. I looked it up on the web. There are the things that we've done here, things that we're still doing, like the... uh, things we give for newcomers or for the senior citizens and we've done alpha courses all sorts of things there but there's some new ones and the one that struck me was cook at chapel I'd never heard of that before and it's for older teenagers and a few adults are invited to join them and they cook a meal together and they have a huge dice with a grace on each side of the dice and they roll it and somebody says grace reads it out And then they have their meal together and they discuss things, praying that they'll bring Jesus into the conversation. I mean, that's the whole purpose, obviously, of it. And at the end, they have a great big prayer bowl and each one of them writes a prayer and puts it in. And most of these non-Christians, but they write a prayer, put it in, stir it up, and then they each take one out and read it. And through this, Many are coming to know the Lord, starting with eating together, acceptance, love, welcome, and then they learn about Jesus. It's been said that the first two steps in evangelism are showing people that Christians are okay and God is good. And we can do that through eating together with non-believers Christians are okay. We can mix with them. We can love them. We can join in with them. And through that, they see that God is good. We can also use food within our own church to build up our fellowship. And there are many people in this church with a wonderful gift of hospitality. Sometimes I think they put it down. Oh, it's not as good as Bible teaching or leading prayer. It is. It's one of God's gifts to the congregation. And it's wonderful when people open up their homes and invite us in and we can have fellowship there. But we don't need to feel guilty if we can't do that. I'm not much good at that, even though I had years in a vicarage of people coming in. But I wouldn't say I've got a gift of hospitality. But we were once having coffee with Pam Collier. Some of you will remember Pam, who can't come to church now. Lovely, lovely lady. And we were having coffee with her, and it got to lunchtime. And she said, do you want to join me for lunch? I've only got cheese and and bread. And we had that with a bread and cheese with Pam. And it was fellowship and it was wonderful. So we can be hospitable. We can eat together without making a great lavish banquet. Some weeks ago, and I'm sure all of you will remember this, we had a 10 o'clock service and Sarah preached to us. I'm not sure if she's 19 or 20. Where's John? 20. Sarah It was the best sermon I think I've heard in my life. 
and God spoke to every single one of us. It was wonderful. Then John led us in worship, and Jesus was there with us, delighting in us. It was wonderful. And then what did we do? We had a barbecue, and we ate together, and we fellowshiped together. And it was the most wonderful day I can remember, with listening to God, offering worship to him, and eating together. All needed all needed as part of our church. That's what we must do more and more in the future. What about those who can't celebrate through feasting? Those who perhaps can't eat. We think of there are two in our own congregation. Can't eat or drink at the moment. What do we do about people like that? We're having our feasts. What about people in other countries? Christians who are suffering. People in North Korea hardly have anything to eat. People in war-torn countries, how can they feast and celebrate? In Psalm 78, the question is asked, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Yes, he can. He can give spiritual food to those who can't celebrate through eating. In Proverbs 15, it says that a good heart has a continual feast, hidden manna. And as we who can eat celebrate with food, let's pray for these others that God will feed them with that hidden manner, the sense of his own presence. And that's what he's doing for Rachel, for um, Helen, the two Helens. He's feeding them with hidden manner. Now just a brief word about fasting. All feasting is not good for us. We need a balance. And it's good for us to have to physically and spiritually sometimes go without food and spend that time with God, drawing near to him. As we listen to him without any distractions and bring our needs to him, so it shows him that we're serious about our desire to grow and to become like him. And it's still meant to be joyful. It's not that feasting is great and happy and fasting is miserable. It's all meant to be joyful because it's all in his presence. and It's all enjoying it with him. So it's meant to be part of the rhythm of our lives as Christians. The hallmark being joy. Lastly, Jesus portrays heaven as a wonderful banquet. Plenty of food and room for all. And all are invited. It begins by coming into his presence now, coming to know him now, celebrating now, and looking forward to that great feast in the future. I wonder if each one of us have answered that invitation. There may be some things that keep us away. One of them is if we're unaware of our need. Do you know it's possible to be a believer without having a relationship with Jesus. We can believe it all in our minds. I know Jesus died for sinners. I know there's a place in heaven, but never actually have that heart relationship with him. We need to come, be aware of our need. We need him, and let's experience that love relationship. We may not come because we feel too bad to be forgiven. Perhaps some are in a wrong relationship or certain habits that you can't break. There's so many things that can keep us from accepting that invitation. 
I remember God saying to me once, some years ago, when I kept falling over a certain habit, and I thought I'd forfeited my place in the kingdom. I thought I was out. I'd done it one, one time too many. And God said to me, which is greater, your sin or my grace? And I wept because I knew his grace is far, far greater than any sin we can commit. So don't let anything keep you away from him. And thinking of that, there's a third thing. There are those who drift. Instead of staying close to him in a vital relationship, we can drift. And he gets pushed to the edge of our lives. And that keeps us from celebrating and feasting because we feel out of sorts and away from him. Don't drift. Be determined to stay close to him, to keep walking with him, and to feast and celebrate for all that he's done for you. So if any of those things are keeping you away, I want to issue a challenge now. Thank him for his great love for you, as you are. It doesn't matter what state you're in, he loves you as you are. Respond to that love and give him the whole of your lives and celebrate and party for all that he's done for you. Amen.